Welcome to the Potato Field Podcast. I'm your host, Spudman Editor Zeke Jennings. Joining me today from Idaho is the Idaho Grower Shippers Association Executive Director, Mr. Sean Boyle. Uh, Sean, welcome to the show. Glad to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me, Zeke. How are things uh, going in Idaho this winter? We are taping here, what, February 3rd, so we're a ways off from, or, uh, ways off from planning, but how's the winter treating you? Well, uh, I think this last year's crop is, uh, it's no secret that it, it was a short crop. We didn't have the yields that we typically see in, in Idaho and I think the rest of the state as well. Um, so I guess right now things are kind of um, unique in that we're, we're not moving the amount of product that we have in the past. And, you know, we're just praying for more moisture. You know, we had, had some good moisture in December. We got a pretty good snowpack and haven't even seen, you know, a snowstorm since. So January was really uh, dry. And so I guess, you know, we're kind of to a point where we're starting to get a little nervous. Yeah, that's what I heard all last year was, we're going to be okay as long as we get a good snowpack. So now we're getting really to the uh, fourth quarter, I guess, on that. Uh, we, yeah. need, we need Mother Nature to help us out. Yep, definitely. We're, we got a, like I said, we had a pretty good start. We thought, hey, December, we, we had a week of just, it just dumped on us. And, um, you know, I, I probably haven't kept as close a track as I should with some of the other pota potato growing regions, but at least for Idaho, we need some more snow, you know, and um, you know, water's a big deal. We've, we're pretty lucky here in Idaho that we kind of seem to be the last uh, Western state with issues in that regard. But, um, you know, there's a lot of places that kind of rely on the snowpack in our mountains for their crops. So again, we're, we're nervous about it, but um, you know, it's not un, unheard of to have, uh, you know, most of our moisture come in February or even in March. So, you know, I guess we haven't given up hope. There's still some time. Yeah. You know, I mean, in my experience, well, I mean, I'm in a different region of the country too, but, Mother Nature always holds out a good storm for late March, early April, so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one other thing I, I wanted to talk to you specifically about is something that's really in the news and at the forefront of really everything right now is the supply chain. And there is trouble at the ports. There's a lack of truckers. Um, you represent, uh, work with a lot of shippers uh, there in Idaho. What are you hearing from your, your uh, members on everything and what kind of feedback can you give us? Yeah, it's a global supply chain disruption. So even Idaho Potatoes, we're dealing with this issue just like everybody else. Um, you know, from... My perspective, you know, I kind of compare it to a fender bender on the interstate. I mean, you've all been uh, in a big city where traffic is stop and go for hours, and then you finally see, oh, there's a car off to the side that 
you know, rear-ended somebody and they're pulled off to the side. And then uh, all of a sudden all the lanes open up and you start going again. And you wonder, you're just scratching your head. Like what, why did all the traffic for miles have to be backed up, slow, you know, stop and go. And, you know, the accidents, it's off to the side there. Uh, and, you know, a lot of times it's because people are just looking over to see what happened and slowing down, whatever. But I think it it's this uh, reverber, reverberation, if that's the word I'm looking for, that it just kind of, uh, it's a snowball effect. You get one car slow up and stop, and then the next ones have to, and the next ones, and and then by the time that first car starts going, you know, takes the next car a little bit longer to catch up. And that's what we've seen with the pandemic. It really, you know, the wheels were greased and, and running smoothly uh, in our, our global supply chain. And then the pandemic, you know, we, we saw a lot of uh, issues with supply and demand. Um, so, you know, I think you get a lot of cars coming over in one direction and then they're all coming back empty at the same time. Um, and, and, and the same as with the vessels uh, that are importing and exporting our products. And so we've just seen a, a disruption that's caused this domino effect um, that everything's kind of running kind of clunky right now. So I'm optimistic that in the next few months, you know, we kind of, we find that balance again and, and it starts running smoothly again. Um, we do have, you know, some issues that I think maybe we dealt with pre-pandemic that are even more drastic now. And, and that's with um, the labor shortage with, with drivers. And, uh, and I think that it probably extends, uh, certainly it extends to rail and, and um, warehousing carriers and yeah, everybody's dealing with, and, and you've heard the story. It's, you know, the 50 year old or 60 year old employee that's been there for 30 years. And, you know, after the pandemic said, you know what, I wasn't planning on it, but I'm going to hang it up and I'm going to retire. You know, I want to do something with my family. I want to, you know, life's short. I'm, I'm not going to work the rest of my life. Let's, let's go retire in, in Costa Rica, whatever it is. Um, I think there was a significant amount of, of um, labor in the transportation industry lost uh, after the pandemic and, and definitely, um, you know, an issue with replacing those workers. We just don't see the demand of um, people wanting to be truck drivers and go long haul truck drivers across the country. You know, it used to be a, a real uh, uh, highly respected uh, kind of a, a macho job. Like I'm a truck driver and you make really good money. And, and anymore people are like, ah, no, nah, I want to, I want to sleep in my own bed every night. I don't want to be driving across country. And um, so that's an issue that I don't know how we're going to address it and, and autonomous vehicles or whatever. Maybe that's, it, we'll 
be the future. I'm not sure, but uh, the idle potato industry, our shippers have, have really struggled lately. Uh, and we've always had issues with transportation, but it seems like it's, uh, you know, the people who have been in the industry for, for 20, 30, 40 years, they're like, yeah, we, I don't remember it being this difficult to try to get a truck to, to move potatoes or try to get a rail car. Um, so uh, as an association, the Idaho Grower Shippers Association, I've shared this with you before, Zeke, but we started out in 1928 as the Idaho Transportation Association. It was, hey, we got these issues and we want to address them as a united agricultural uh, industry in Idaho and, and go meet with Union Pacific Railroad or some of these bigger organizations and, and have a united voice. Here we are 94 years later and our organization's probably never been more uh, relevant and, and important to have that united voice to try to keep uh, truckers coming to Idaho and keep the rail interested in Idaho. So, yeah, I, I, I hate, I'm typically, naturally a very optimistic person, but, you know, we're dealing with some, some significant issues right now. Now, you're the Idaho Grower Shippers Association. Of course, this is a Spudman platform. We're talking potatoes. Uh, are your uh, members moving other crops, other commodities as well, typically, or are they primarily potato focused? Yeah, here, um, you know, our uh, association is focused on potatoes, but of course we have a crop rotation, you know, so all these growers have um, other crops, um, hay, alfalfa, and um, corn, uh, a little bit of soybeans and uh, sugar beets. We have other crops that are doing really well right now. You know, I think you, um, you, you're, I'm sure you're aware that all these alternative crops are, um, you know, are, are viable and good options for our members right now because they're, they're getting good returns. And, um, the transportation issues are the same though, you know, so it's, um, it's kind of a catch 22 where it's like, Hey man, if we could just grow this crop. We probably get a pretty good return this year. Well, how are you going to get that to market? Mm -hmm. you know, and, and so we're, we're seeing, um, I, I guess, you know, as we look forward to this next year's crop, there's a little bit of uncertainty of, how many potatoes are we going to grow? Uh, what, you know, how many acres are we going to plant? At, um, because you have some really good alternative crops that you might say, you know what, this year with the high input costs that we're seeing with fertilizer and uh, packaging and other chemicals and uh, transportation, it's like maybe we should plant some of those crops that don't have as high input mm -hmm. costs. So, yeah, I, th I think there's, um, besides transportation, there's other things that are happening, I think, um, caused 
uh, in part at least by the pandemic that have changed um, you know, business models for a lot of growers. Um, any ideas on, I, I'm sure you're talking about this with your members a lot. I mean, what, it, what do you think needs to change to, to help these, these guys? Do we need to make truck driving more attractive? Do we need more autonomous vehicles? Do we need more rail cars? What, what do you think is a, some viable solutions to help improve things? Well, uh, that, that's a great question. And I think that each individual business needs to uh, consider how they can make themselves a shipper of choice, if you will, a, a place that truckers are like, hey, I'll, yeah, I'll take on that, that load. I like going down you know, to Wilcox, Potato, and Rexburg. I remember those guys. They have a little break room for their truck drivers, and they always hook me up with a mill. And, you know, just make it comfortable and easy. Um, and, and they load me quickly, you know, because time is, is money for these truck drivers. So I think that there are, are certain things that you can do to, to position yourself to be, um, you know, attractive to these trucking companies and, and more attractive than, hey, let's go pick up those Christmas trees or toys or, or whatever it, you know, we, you've got to make, um, make it just as pleasant of an experience as possible for these drivers. So the next time they have an option of coming and picking up your product, um, they're going to want to come and see you. Uh, I, I think there are, um, a few other things that, we we try to do um, so. I, I guess one would be um, with with rail cars. Um, I, we've talked many times, Zeke, about the intermodal facility in Pocatello that was recently built. Um, that is, you know, we're working on things that maybe not immediately have an impact, but you know, we're looking big picture what's going to make eastern idaho or you know basically the center of the idaho potato um, acres and a, a transportation hub a, a place where you know trucks are coming and and leaving and rail cars are are abundant because there's all kinds of product and so that intermodal facility is is one that we've been really um, excited about and, and just continue to, to beat the drum there that there's, there's opportunities, significant opportunities here and, and try to make it attractive again, to be a shipper of choice, kind of to be a state um, of choice for rail cars and trucks. Yeah, that's, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, just to give any uh, listeners uh, a little bit of background on that who might not be familiar, that intermodal uh, rail facility in Pocatello was kind of designed to alleviate some of those long-term trucking, those long trucking trips across the country, whereas it's a day trip more from, you know, you're going two hours down to Pocatello instead of 12 hours to Washington or whatever. Um, how's that going in 
uh, just give us a little background on what the goal was and, and how we got to where we are now. Uh, I love talking about it. It's an exciting project and, and there, there's a lot of good things happening there. It started uh, really, I think we can give credit to the hay industry in, in Idaho that they were truck, they were loading trucks um, with, with containers of hay, uh, trucking them down to Salt Lake City, being loaded onto rail cars, and then taken to the, to the Northwest or anywhere in the West to then be loaded on, on ships and, and, and exported. And so they thought, well, boy, we're, we're spending, I, I don't know, let's say $1,000 a truck to just get it down to Salt Lake. Is there a way that we could, you know, save our five or six um, um, routes to Salt Lake a day and, and move something via rail right out of Pocatello or this area? And so that's where it kind of started. Savage Corp really gets uh, the all the credit for the project. Savage Corp is they're out of Utah. They're um, that, that's what they do is transportation solutions. And so we we got with them and it worked closely with Savage and um, you know our our governor here in Idaho and and all of the potato shippers you know, had a voice and some input in this project. And it ultimately resulted in Savage Corp saying, hey, we're gonna we're gonna pay for this intermodal facility. And they they um, selected a, a location there in Pocatello with a rail spur, a direct line UP rail spur there. Um, and this intermodal facility has the ability to, um, well, initially what's happening is you know, those hay companies like Driscoll Top Hay, they, they're loading a container right there in Pocatello. And, and then at this intermodal facility, they just grab that container off the truck, set it right on uh, a chassis of, uh, on the rail car. And that, that rail car takes off a direct route from Pocatello straight into the Pacific Northwest. And, um, you know, something that's, that I didn't understand until I toured that facility, but, you know, the rail cars have somewhat of a priority over the trucks. They pull into the North, Northwest Seaport area, Tacoma, Washington area, the trucks pull in and kind of line up, you mm -hmm. know, first come, first serve. The rail car kind of takes a priority right up front and just gets unloaded right onto the ship. So although trucks are, you know, more convenient typically and, and sometimes a little more reliable because they just take a direct route, well, if you've got a direct train route, that's, that's the ideal situation because they get loaded right on. And so now you take the, uh, that... Um, you make it more predictable. You know when that rail car is leaving the intermodal facility in Pocatello and you can calculate and be within a few hours of when it's gonna arrive at the seaport and, uh, and be loaded on and shipped to Taiwan, Asia, 
Korea, you, you name it. Uh, so it's extremely valuable and, and um, we've seen immediate impact for those alternative crops other than Idaho, uh, potatoes. But the exciting part is the potential for what it could lead to. Um, you know, now we have a lot of con um, containers coming right into Pocatello. We've got, you know, U Union Pacific Railroad is, um, you know, we have their attention and they're, they're shipping cars into Pocatello because you got this consistent uh, supply um, via the intermodal facility. So the next step naturally is how can we get um, refrigerated containers on that, that same rail car? And uh, it's not that far off. It, and it, we, we knew from the beginning, Zeke, that this was gonna be baby steps, right? We weren't gonna just day one have refrigerated cars and abundance of refrigerated cars and just this direct route for exports of Idaho potatoes. So we, we, we've always said that old adage from, uh, I think it's from Field of Dreams, if you build it, they will come, right? And so a Savage built it and uh, it's exciting to see, you know, the, the immediate benefit and, and to be in these discussions with them of, hey, what, what's the next step? And then, it, you know, when I say next step, it's not just shipping fresh potatoes on that same rail car uh, into the Pacific Northwest. It, naturally, it's, hey, we've got all these cars, we've got all these shipments that are going uh, to, the, to the East Coast, you know, staying within the U.S. And it's like, well, why don't we just use some of those cars to go the other direction? And so, you know, the opportunities are, are significant. And uh, like I said, with the issues that we're seeing with trucks, we, we are seeing more people who've been, um, who've always trucked their products are saying, what, what's some other options out there? You know, could, could we look at rail? And so we've seen an uptick in rail usage just as of late because people are considering, you know, multiple different options for getting their product to market. And in rail, at least in terms of um, moving, you know, like driving the train, I mean, you're going to get more with uh, a ch uh, more containers hooked to a chassis than, than you can a truck. You know, you're, you're going to be able to move more product with one person than you can with a truck. Yeah. I mean, the, the, um, the reality is with the new um, rail cars, the longer 64 foot rail cars, you can put approximately 80 pallets of fresh potatoes in a, in a rail car and approximately 20 pallets in a truck. So one in what, you know, uh, it's a one to four ratio, right? So one truck equals for, you know, one rail car equals four truckloads. So, you know, you can move more product and, you know, that's like, again, with the labor issue, instead of having four people driving trucks, you got, you know, one, one rail engineer that's driving that rail car. So yeah, it, that can be a double-edged sword. 
right? We, we, we move a fresh product that has, has a shelf life. And so a lot of customers say, oh, we, we need trucks because we can only bring in, you know, those 20 pallets, that, that amount of product and move it before, you know, within three, four months or whatever. I don't know what the time period is, but before it's like, hey, this product's starting to look old. Um, so that's, that's kind of the conundrum that we're faced with is, hey, we could get you a rail car and get you a ton more product. And the customers are saying, oh, you know what, can't you just send an, a truck this week and then a truck in two weeks mm -hmm. and, and as, as opposed to sending all of it this week? So, yeah, I mean, we've, we've got some unique challenges in, in that sense, but I, I think what we're seeing is that people are, are learning, hey, we, we've got to have a good balance. You can't put all your potatoes in one basket with just <laughs> trucks or just rail cars. You gotta, you gotta have a, uh, a good balance there with both. Um, do you know as, as an industry, uh, what percentage of Idaho potatoes that go outside of Idaho are shipped internationally versus domestically? Oh, you know, that, that's a good question. Um, the Idaho Potato Commission has done a lot of work over the last three, four years on marketing uh, Idaho potatoes uh, in these foreign countries. And so I think that export opportunities have increased uh, definitely. Um, I, I don't know if I dare say a percentage that, that's moving that way. I will say that um, it, it's tough. This year is hard when you don't have a lot of product to say, I mean, people are just taking care of their, their base customers as opposed to saying, Hey, let's try, you know, let's, let's try a shipment into Korea. Like they really love Idaho potatoes and, you know, we're getting these calls from them that they want containers of potatoes. And it's like, boy, we, we don't know if we're going to have enough potatoes to run till you know into july let's i don't know if we should be taking on a new opportunity and so they've kind of everybody's kind of uh, i think the export market has been slower this year for that very reason that it, it had a lot of momentum and then you know we had this year where uh, again uh, a really abnormally hot summer that impacted our yields and we're kind of like hey let's let's just hunker down and supply our 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 main customers um the the mexico fresh situation looks like maybe just maybe it might get finally get resolved um obviously colorado the san luis valley is very close to mexico uh, any opportunities for your fresh shippers there uh, getting some some new sales done in Mexico? You know, Mexico has always been, in my opinion, a natural fit for U.S. potatoes uh, just because of the proximity. You know, transportation is one of our biggest costs. And you got a, you know, a 
country with a really big population that um, that, that really loves our potatoes. Uh, just it's always been a natural fit. I've always been excited when they've we've seen glimpses of hey we we might be able to expand the opportunity to go into those countries. I I don't know if I have shared with you Zeke, but I. I lived in El Salvador in Central America for two years. Oh, I didn't know that. And I was a missionary for my church. And, and honestly, I mean, I, I love that country, but their potatoes just were, were subpar. I mean, they just did not have, you know, you, they were just, they were tiny. They didn't taste very good. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, my, my mom sent me a lot of the, Idahoan potato packets, you know, to, to try to get some quality potato while I was down there. But, you know, I, I think that Mexico would be well served to get. And, so, and I'm, I'm going to say it, you know, it's Idaho potatoes or Colorado potatoes or Michigan, Wisconsin. You know, they, they, we, we just grow a really good product in the U S and, and so I, I think that if we get the opportunity to go in there, that they will really appreciate it. The people will benefit and and uh, enjoy the product that we move in there. And you know, rising tide lifts all ships. Uh, if it's Colorado that you know moves some potatoes in there, well, that's a customer somewhere here in the U.S. that Colorado is no longer serving and and. Idaho will have an opportunity, you know, it's kind of like um, we work really closely with the National Potato Council and all of the state managers of, of potato organizations in the U.S. And we love those people. And, and at the end of the day, you know, we, we feel like we raise really good potatoes here in Idaho, but um, you know, we, we definitely don't have a corner on the market on good people. Like you, you, those potato growers in Colorado, you, I'm like, man, I love these guys just as much as the potato growers in Idaho. They're good people. They work the land. They just want to work hard and provide a great product. Um, And, and so, yeah, I've all the more power to them. If they can get into Mexico, if anybody can, I think that's a great opportunity for potatoes. Yeah, I heard a great talk uh, by Matt Lance, who you just brought up the NPC. Matt Lance is uh, one of their uh, export experts. He's with Bryant Christie. And he said, the potato industry is very unique among uh, commodities crops in that there is a unified voice. It's not regionalized where like, Idaho would say, well, if Colorado gets access to Mexico, we want it or else we're not going to go along. The, the potato industry realizes any exported potato is a good potato. So it, I thought you summed it up great about, hey, yeah. exports out of one state is going to open up opportunities for somebody else somewhere else. Yeah. And I, again, I, I mean, I, I sincerely mean it. I think, you know, Jim Ehrlich in Colorado runs their uh, organization down there. Uh, I, I think the world of them, just awesome guy, you know, we're, we're great friends. And so I, 
I think uh, I think you're right that uh, we we definitely are unique uh, in that. Um, you know, there's there's always some friendly banter back and forth, like when when somebody shows up at a national potato council uh, to speak. You know, we've had this happen before where somebody will come to speak and they'll introduce themselves and just be like, I'm so happy to be here. You know, I love Idaho potatoes and the whole room's like, Oh, (laughs) you know, and it's, but it's fun because, you know, we know if uh, I think everybody knows that if we're successful in Idaho, you know, people are going to be loving potatoes and buying them in Colorado and Michigan, Wisconsin, North Dakota, wherever, Maine, and Washington, Oregon, and it's, again, that I, I, I truly believe in that analogy of rising tides is everybody's, all ships are going to rise and benefit from it. Well, uh, I think that's a great place to wrap up. We covered a lot of ground. Sean, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. It's great insight. And um, fingers crossed and prayers for that snowpack. Yeah, yeah, Zeke. Well, it's always a pleasure, Zeke. I, I really appreciate your friendship and what you're doing. I think these podcasts are really great. I have enjoyed listening to them, so keep it up. Great. I, I appreciate you coming on. Okay. Take care. Thanks.